Hello and welcome to yet another episode of When Movies Were Good. Uh, we are joining you, myself, Rachel, and my special guest star, the Jonathan Harris, the Ricardo Montebaum of this podcast, Matt. You left out the Sean Connery, but yeah. I, I appreciate the sentiment anyway. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Anything. Now, we're coming to you tonight, of course, from Melbourne, Australia, and we are in the podcast of When Movies Were Good. We are doing our Audrey Hepburn double tonight. We're doing two wonderful movies, uh, Roman Holiday, and we're also doing... I was going to say Breakfast at Tiffany's, but but no. Sabrina is the one we're doing. Look, it's an understandable mistake. <laughs> Everybody thinks of that picture. Yes, and she's so iconic um, at playing Breakfast at Tiffany's, and that's definitely... I've actually only seen parts of that film, and I do need to go off and see the full thing myself. So we're spending the night with the lovely Audrey tonight. And Matt, how have you been this past week or past few weeks? Yeah, I'm good. Try not to eat too much. I know. It's hard to do. We're still, like most of the rest of the world, suffering with the the old uh, COVID there, but we're trying well, to... Well, I didn't need COVID as an excuse, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, it's, ha- it's handy to have it uh, on my sleeve. Yes, that's true. I think for most that for most people, it's a convenient option at the moment. Um, but I know where I work, we are selling out of our diet shakes quite quickly. So What about those black jelly beans? I love those. Yeah, we still have those. So, yeah. Oh, Excellent. Yeah. Yes, I uh, don't know if it's the same thing in the rest of the world, but uh, Australia, the best jelly beans you can get are the black ones at the chemist. Are the black? Yes. I, I like the green ones, but they're only in the multi bag. So I mean, um, not like my family. They're, my family all hate the green uh, lollies. They always make me have them. Oh, okay. I'm the only one that eats them. Which you're happy to oblige? or? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, not the worst thing to have to do for your family. <laughs> I wonder now. I wonder if Audrey Hepburn liked jelly beans. She kind of comes across as the sort of person that might have liked them. She but... did have a bit of a sweet tooth, but not to an excessive extent. Like uh, she sort of have a square of dark chocolate a day, mm. uh, like she was known for uh, being quite modest in her consumption. And I think uh, she got put off when she uh, apparently there's this story when uh, after um, World War Two was ending mm. and they had all the victory parades. And I think she was in Holland at the time with her mother, and an American soldier gave her. Mm. A big bar of chocolate, and I think uh, at the same time I have had a whole jar of jam, and she sort of got sick because uh, hadn't been eating enough during the war, and uh, then uh, suddenly had this indulgent sugar. Oh wow! I didn't yeah. hear. Oh, that's an interesting story. But you know what? A lot of these classic actors, you know, who especially the ones who've ca- who came over from Europe, probably have those. Definitely have that, and even the American ones do as well. So just to let the audience know a little bit about our. Our special focus for tonight, the lovely, beautiful Audrey Hepburn. She was born Audrey Kathleen Rooston uh, in 1929. And she was considered a British actress, but really I would consider her more as a European sort of actress because she did live in a lot of parts of Europe and, as you said, in Holland. I, th- I think her mother was like a, a baroness in um, the Netherlands or something. Yes. Yeah. I was reading that here as well. And she spent, so she was born in Brussels. She spent parts of her childhood in Belgium, England, and the Netherlands. And then she also studied ballet in Amsterdam and then in London. So I think perhaps because she probably spent a lot of her teenage years in the UK, in London, that's probably where the accent has come from. Well, it worked for Prince Philip. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I always wonder how Prince Philip had such a... <laughs> so she got her start um, in the West End, like a lot of other performers did. And she started in the musical theatre world and then did appear in some British films. 
she managed, as we always say, how amazing it was back then because she got spotted and then she was put into a play on Broadway, uh, Gigi. And uh, that was after someone had spotted her and she was cast in that. And pretty much that's how she was then seen to go on to do Roman Holiday. So Roman Holiday is the first film that we will discuss, unless my memory, yeah, because then Sabrina came after that. So Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about Roman Holiday? So of course, it's the story of a young, we don't actually know which country her princess comes from. It's like some unknown country in Europe. Well, it's being kept deliberately vague. Uh, we, we know perfectly well that the plotline of a princess having uh, an inappropriate love interest was uh, very clearly influenced by the story of Princess Margaret, uh, uh, who was, which was very big at the time, when, uh, although that was um, not that he was of inappropriate social rank, but that he was divorced. Yes. Uh, but um, clearly that would have been in the public's imagination at the time, and so it wouldn't have needed telling. Yeah. And I think it's a, a brilliant movie. It's uh, not only is the acting excellent, but it was also one of the first major Hollywood productions to be shot on location. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, um, so, yes, it's become such an iconic characterization of the landscape of Rome. Yeah. And definitely. Uh, the story's uh, very. Uh, uh, well, it, it's got that perfect blend of hu- humor and. Uh, almost tra- tragic uh, tragedy of destiny yeah I, it's so just to give the audience a bit of a recap if you're not too familiar or if you saw it a long time ago it's basically um, a princess who is stuck with the boredom of her luxurious but a lifestyle that she didn't choose manages to while she's on tour around europe and obviously they're in rome escapes from the people who are looking after her her guardians and the protectors that work for her her and her family the royal family of the unnamed country and she basically spends a couple of days with an american reporter and some other people around town played by the wonderful gregory peck so he was originally the top billing in this film And they had tossed around other names like Matt and I were discussing beforehand, Gene Simmons and a few other names. But Audrey really stuck out for them. So they waited until she finished that Broadway run of Gigi. And then they were... But she was an unknown at the time. She was like completely unknown. Well, uh, they did what they did at the time in the credits of saying introducing Audrey Hepburn. Mm -hmm. It's the same with um, On the Waterfront when it introduced um, Eva Marie Saint. Uh, it kind of does reflect the uh, power of studios at the time when they did have a credit billing like that because the even then, but this day and age, like uh, actors don't just suddenly get announced. It's not like the a debutante being announced mm. to the king. Mm. Uh, um, so it's uh, quite a different way that you'd uh, get la- launched. Now you sort of slowly get recognised. Yes, and I think um, well, it launched a lifelong friendship for the two of them. They always remain good friends I believe from what I was researching about them and then Peck actually rang the studio or rang whoever he was dealing with and said no I want her name above the credits with mine because originally it was just going to be Gregory Peck in Roman Holiday and then everyone else comes after that so that was a a fantastic gesture from him. Let's assume though that um, the film would have otherwise not been uh, any different, and they just had the credits originally. Um, even so, Audrey shone through in that film. She did, and she was really adept at playing the sort of roles that she 
did end up playing, I mean, from Holly Go Lightly, I'm wanting to say if that was the character in Breakfast at Tiffany's, and then, yeah, of course, yeah, My Fair Lady, and yeah. um, was actually listening to her, um, not to veer too far off course, but listening to her natural singing voice in My Fair Lady today, which was interesting, and I think she could have sung the role well enough to do it. But oh, she didn't actually sing in My Fair Lady. She sang in Funny Face, but they dubbed her in My Fair Lady. Yeah, so um, they actually had some footage of her raw vocals. Yeah, obviously, she would just sing on the set when she was doing the musical numbers, and apparently she wasn't even aware they were going to overdub her. And she was a serviceable singer. She wasn't fantastic, fantastic, but... She was okay, so I really don't... And she didn't realise that Marnie Nixon was going to come in and, and overdub for her, so I That's didn't realise that. Yeah, I think she was hired on the belief that she would be doing the singing because she'd sung in Funny Face, but um, I haven't actually seen Funny Face yet. So another thing which was interesting, William Wyler, who we've um, we've done a few of his films before, um, Friendly Persuasion was one of his that we've previously spoken about, but Dalton Trumbo who was blacklisted, he was the original um, writer of the screenplay and his name was taken off and then quite rightly they reinstated his credit years later. Well, that was, I don't know, all of her Trumbo's films, but certainly I think that would be one of his masterpieces. Yeah. Um, So, look, my thoughts on this were, I think Audrey definitely suited the role. My... I'm not going to say issues with this film. I mean, it, it is what it is, and what it is 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 lovely. But I think I was probably looking for a bit more in the storyline somewhere. I, I wasn't particularly enthusiastic about the way it ended, and I needed something else at the start to sort of propel her off into this adventure that she went on. But that's just me. I'm always looking for something else, I think. As, as far as how she ended up into the streets, I I, they probably could have made it a bit clearer, but I think it was that like she was half not really knowing what she was mm. doing because they gave her There's some sort of yeah. sedative because she had a like a panic attack because mm. uh, because of she was being read out of a list of things to do. Look, uh, look, I'd have probably felt that way too if I had to go to that many um, meetings. I can barely handle one. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. And then all royalty must feel like, feel and, like and that. I think, and I think it must have been like some sort of delayed reaction to the drug because we've uh, Gregory Peck uh, found her on the street like half um, half out there, like he thought she was drunk. Yes, definitely. I think I just. Um... It was a little slow to start. I had her meeting all these dignitaries and stuff. I, I don't know. I'm just thinking maybe I would have done it a different way. But um, but I guess when you have an interest in storytelling yourself, you're always annoyingly thinking about silly things like that at times, which kind but of... But it does show yeah. the sort of gilded cage and ceremony mm. that she has to do. Yes, because she was, you know, they had the close-ups of her taking her foot out of the shoe and trying to move it around and... Yeah, and, and look at, it, you know, especially with recent events going on in the, like, English monarchy and stuff, it's yeah. it's not an easy lifestyle at all. And the film did show that. I suppose, um, now, I love Gregory Peck. I'm just not sure about him. You know, he was 16 years older than her. And, I, and that, to me, is just, it's just too big of an age gap. It probably wasn't as big at the time, Uh no, sorry, 13 years older than her. I'm thinking yeah. of the next film. 13 years older than her. I just came across as... It's just... I, I'm not sure I'm not sure who they could have got to do the Gregory Peck role, but... 
Yeah, I can't remember how old Audrey was at the time, uh, but, like, uh, the role she played, I think, was meant to be even younger. Like, mm. somebody who's, like... Uh, well, she pretends to be a schoolgirl. Yes. Uh, effectively. Like, and uh, I think terms were different than when she says school. She probably means, like, college or, or uni. Yeah. Not, 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 uh, so, uh, no, Peck isn't uh, dating a, 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 a middle schooler. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think she was um, 19... We can confirm this. I think she was about 19, 23, and he was in terms of their birth age. So, but there was about 13 years age difference. So just to confirm that she was born in 1929 and then Gregory Peck was born in, he was born in 1916. So there was 13 years between them. And I really picked up on that. So whether she needed someone a little bit younger for her, so maybe the reporter could have been more of a, hey, this is my first job. I got lumped over here sort of thing. I don't know. it was a lot more palatable than the age difference between, um, for example, James Stewart and um, in um, Grace Kelly. In, uh, no, um, in Vertigo. Um, oh yes, oh with, god, uh, Kim, yes. With Kim Novak. That yeah. one. That one really. Did. Even Hitchcock himself secretly blamed the film's limited success on that. Um, yes. Uh, casting choice. Yeah, he was. But yeah. Like, uh, but like that, so the age gap isn't nearly as apparent. Although I, I suppose it's um. Like, like, like you do feel uh, bad for Audrey, especially at the beginning, because we know she's been taken advantage of straight away. Mm, that's right. Yeah. As far as, but then I suppose that might be one reason we um, uh, can uh, enjoy the ending as it did turn out, yeah. where they both sort of quietly accept their different fates. At yes. the same, at the same time, though, some I think uh, the film would not have aged as well if it were a sort of a. Romantic breaking, uh, breaking the code, the code of um, uh, the code of um, rank because like she had her her own duties to country. Yeah, she was, and that was that was very evident in the film that she always knew that she was going to have to go back, but she wanted the day to sort of stretch out as long as it could and go back to his place with him and have a it wine. It is kind of and, a Romeo yeah. and Juliet story. Yes, it is. So, I mean, I did like aspects about it. Yeah. Apparently they have re- they did a remake of it with Catherine Oxenberg, who was who is a member of European royalty, but who, like, worked on Dynasty yeah. and a few other things in the 80s with Tom Conti. So I might be interested to watch that just for the schlock effect. I suppose you could also interpret a bit of a touch of chauvinism and how the... Um, plot in it because like there was a film that Sophia Loren made where she was an Austrian princess a breath of scandal and she eventually ran off with um the leading male who was an American commoner but sort of she was bringing herself down to his level if for example mm. um uh, it didn't it went the other way like it probably would not have um uh, uh, gone with the uh, what was a- allowed to happen in the sort of storytelling of the time for Peck to become Hepburn's second fiddle in the courts of Europe. Yes, I mean, it's... um, Yeah, look, and there's a few other similar films and a lot of modern rom-coms, especially the things you get on the Hallmark Channel and stuff, have these sorts of storylines going on all the time. But I guess for me, my favourite thing in the film, just before we head on over to the other film that we'll be discussing, Sabrina, uh, is that it was just seeing the film shot in Rome and that's where they made the compromise because they did want it in colour, but because they were shooting completely in Italy, the money wasn't there. But it's such a shame because it would look fantastic in colour. I guess so, but then um, we see a lot of... um 
colour films where the colour doesn't age as well, whereas black and white can often be quite timeless. Yes. And, and not just in terms of the quality or technology of colour production at the time, but even if you make a, today the same image, black and white versus uh, colour, and I speak as a photographer, it's uh, often, often a case that the black and white it doesn't seem quite as rooted to a particular t uh, time of day or a particular year. Yes, that's true. And I suppose they had, you know, they were in the day, they were at night, they were around the Coliseum, they were, what was it, the mouth of truth or the mouth Yeah, of <laughs> um, you know that part was a, an improvised joke on Peck's past. Yeah, I was reading that. Were they, um, I didn't research it, but they were actually shooting that at the actual mouth of truth. It wasn't just like a mock-up that they made or... Uh, uh, apparent, apparently, but like uh, probably uh, Peck wouldn't have uh, got away with the joke if he didn't, if there were a prop a mouth. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, um, no, I actually really liked all that sort of stuff of them going around and, and interacting with all the other characters they came across and everything. So I, I liked the film. I just, for me, it was just missing a couple of components in terms of perhaps the start, perhaps the finish. Not that it was wrong. I just would have liked to have seen something else. I, I loved Audrey Hepburn in the film. I thought she was absolutely the best choice for that role. And she did that she now she won the Academy Award or she was nominated for the Academy Award for this. It was one uh, or the other. It was, one of those. it was one of those. I just, I do, I really love Gregory Peck. I always have. Um, one of my favorite films is a film called gentleman's agreement that he's in. And I just felt he either needed someone slightly older for him or she needed someone slightly younger for her just to get the chemistry for well, me. I think it had, for Audrey's part, it had to be about uh, her age or the age she portrays because it needs to be somebody who's re really forming her own identity and that she, even though she's had to follow instructions her whole life, she's realising that it's time to, ma to make her own choices, that she's learning responsibility overnight. Yeah, that's true. I mean, um, so if we go over to Sabrina, and now Sabrina was made the year, the next year, 1954. So she was now a star and Roman Holiday made her a star. So if we go over to Sabrina, um, now I'm familiar with Sabrina because I'm a big fan of Greg Kinnear and Greg Kinnear was in the Sabrina remake with Harrison Ford. So that's how I know of the storyline of Sabrina and it's the same, the same storyline. So just to reacquaint the audience. So Sabrina is the, a rich family's uh, chauffeur's daughter. Now she takes off to Paris for two years uh, to, to attend culinary school and sort of develop her own self. And then when she returns, it's sort of like a flower's bloomed. So she was this sort of like mousy young girl and now she's this beautiful cultured woman who's lived in Paris. And she, the family that her father works for and the estate that she's grown up on, um, she's madly in love with one of the brothers, David, played by William Holden. So now that she's changed, he's now interested in her. And he's basically the playboy of the family and she's madly in love with him or so she thinks. So... Their romance is sort of thwarted by David's brother, Linus, played by Humphrey Bogart, who runs the family business. And then he basically wants David to marry an heiress so um, a crucial merger can take place for the family business. And there's thrills and spills abounding with Sabrina and Linus and David. Um, Matt, what do you think? I think uh, William Holden is... Uh 
that's one of my favorite roles of his. He's just perfect for that sort of uh, uh, carefree uh, American aristocracy person who uh, kind of can't help bumbling himself into trouble because of his uh, privileged clueness and Audrey Hepburn really comes into her own in this, uh, that, that part where she's uh, arriving on the platform from the train station or the mm -hmm. like, uh, that, that sort of glow she has, I think that was, uh, would have cemented her icon in uh, many people's minds. Yes, yeah, so this was, so Sabrina's based on a play called Sabrina Fair. And uh, I believe, I'm sure there was probably some other actresses. So we have, again, directed by the wonderful Billy Wilder. He wrote the screenplay with Ernest Lehman and Samuel A. Taylor. And Samuel A. Taylor had, had written the play Sabrina Fair. Um, I, here we go again. I just don't think. You're, you're not much of a romantic with films, are you? I just, I, I'm really into people looking like they can be a potential couple. And Humphrey Bogart and Audrey Hepburn, no, not for me. He was born in 1899, so he was like 24 years older than her. And you can really tell. I just didn't buy it. And um, I do like William Holden, but I, again, he was... He was, uh, hang on, he was born in 1916, so he was about, yeah, about 11 or 12 years older than her. And they so, just... So about the same age difference uh, from as Peck. Gregory Peck, yeah. And he was the younger of the pair. Yeah, and he, I just thought they, you know, it's it's funny, like, say for example, I'll give the audience an, an example. So you have the original Dirty Dancing with Swayze and Jennifer Grey, and it's 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 a fun, it's a great movie. But you had for, the time of your life. For me... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I actually, I didn't see it when it came out. I was around when it came out. Matt wasn't, but I was. And I didn't see it when it came out. I actually saw it many years later. And I never thought that Swayze and Grey had chemistry. I was like, no, 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 no. Then they did a remake of Dirty Dancing. And I actually, as schlocky and as not needed as it was, I actually enjoyed it more because... The people playing the Swayze and Grey roles in that film were a lot more believable as a couple, and that because of age, or? because of age, yeah, and they just, yeah, they sort of seemed about three, four years apart in age, and Patrick Swayze just seemed far too old for Jennifer Grey, and I just thought I don't buy them being a couple at all, and I think I love the music, I love the setting, I love the era of when it was shot and when it was set, but to bring that back to Sabrina. I just can't buy her with either one of these two. So as a result, I don't have as much buy into the film. I actually, oh, here we go. This is sacrilege. Um, prefer the remake because I can buy now the actress name. She, that was her first role as well that she did in the Sabrina remake. I love Greg Kinnear and I loved him as David in that film. It is, a, that is a good film on its own, but I just mm -hmm. find like it's uh no use comparing it to the original. Mm. Like you need to think of it in the context of Notting Hill and other films are from that period. Oh, Julia Ormond. Yep, that's it. Yes, I just felt because for me to have buy into Sabrina, I need to believe that her and David could potentially be a couple, and her and Linus could be a couple. And I just okay, maybe David, but I had no buy in that her and Linus, Humphrey Bogart's Linus. Well, uh, so um. I, I, in your opinion, then you you base you 
generally don't think uh, beyond a certain age gap is a really convincing uh, evidence of a viable relationship. A unless, unless it's written into the story that, you know, they acknowledge the age gap in the story and they acknowledge mm -hmm. why they're married or partnered up with such an age gap. I need something there. And look, um, hey, it, it was going to happen. It was going to happen. If I wanted to mention Larry Hagman, now's the time to do it. He was on Dallas. He was paired up as his second wife, a much younger lady, a much younger lady. But they had wonderful chemistry together. I think he was about, oh, God, late 50s, and she was in her late 20s. So there was a good 30 years between the two of them. But they had a wonderful, wonderful chemistry together. Like you really felt like they were a couple. And I just, so it, it is possible, but obviously they, the characters acknowledge that there was a large age difference between them. But in this film, it's like, hey, um, uh, I'm Linus and I'm nearly 50 and I'm going after a 22-year-old or something. I just, it, it just, um, mm. Yes, well, um, definitely the system of the time um, <laughs> didn't have qualms about um, uh, that age difference. It would have been very uh, made big deal of if it were the other way around. Yes, that's exactly right. And uh, look, we, like that film with yeah. Rock Hudson, what was it called? Um, where he was the strapping tree uh, planter. Um, Giant or no? I can't remember. Yeah. That's, that's another theme. Oh, good old Rock. Oh, we will do a Rock rock special because we, we rock will deserves rock it yeah yeah i love <laughs> rock um and uh, you know i remember like yesterday when he passed away so uh getting back to audrey and the boys yeah so i don't want that to don't put let that put you off sabrina's just it's one it's part of her repertoire it's it's up there with roman holiday it's up there with and look you know, if you love Humphrey Bogart, you're probably going to love him in this role. If you love William Holden, you will love him in this role. Um, if you love Audrey, you will love it. And everyone, like Ellen Corby, she was on the Waltons and she was playing Linus's secretary. So there's, you know, there's a bit of intrigue. There's, you know, and where it was shot, like it was partly shot in California, partly shot in New York. There's a, there's a lot going on. And it and at least it, go, it starts somewhere and it finishes somewhere. So I like the trajectory of the story here. Uh, I just think for me, um, yeah. I, I love the bit with the hammock and yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, how they made use of um, plastic, which would, have been, which would have been quite revolutionary at the time. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it's, look, I think, you know, she's the main draw card in these films. As, oh, definitely. As, as famous as her co male co-stars were. Um, and are, uh, but she is the real light in both of these films. So if you love sort of feel good, even if it's a bit bittersweet in a way, if you love that sort of thing, if you love romance, if you love just chic and classical, just looking at this classical, there's no doubt Audrey Hepburn was a stunningly beautiful woman. And even, you know, I was, I think Matt would have been a tiny child at the time, but I remember in 93, I think it was, when she passed away, uh, I remember her as the UNICEF ambassador and just how elegant she was and how quaffed she was and she always looked so beautiful and it was just a, a shock that we lost her because she really wasn't that old. And um, yeah. I, I'm, you know, remember those group of stars passing away. So uh, it was a, it was very sad 
to lose her. So, and, and she did, you know, as she got into the 60s and, you know, and really for her, I guess, Holly Golightly, her character in Breakfast at Tiffany's was the, is that iconic thing that everyone, you know, the dress, the glasses, the hair up, everything. So watch these films because they really are a part of when movies were good and they're a part of that classic. And both of them, I think, are protected films, like on that archive of films that the American government wants to preserve. Both of them are on there. So... Yeah, get, get yourself out there and re-watch them or watch them and definitely – and I uh, do. have you seen Breakfast at Tiffany's? Or I have, yes. Yeah, I've only seen parts of it on when it's been on TV, so that's one that I do need to sit down and and I do like George Pippard, So it, it's, it's a rather unusual um, uh, plot to put into words. Uh, like I read the book as well when I was young, mm-hmm. so I can't remember most of it, but the focusing on the film itself, I mean, it is kind of a – and another emotional maturity story, although it feels a bit strange because Hepburn was like in her early thirties at the time. Mm. Uh, yeah, she definitely about. seemed a bit. Yeah, she just like that was like sixty one, so it wasn't that far away from these films. It was sort of seven, eight, six, seven, eight years away from these two films. Yeah, she's gone from taking care of the uh, rich boy with a hangover to getting her own hangover. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, it was lovely to spend a bit of time with Audrey and I do want to check out a lot more of her work and I know she sort of, you know, got away from that whole thing and she was in Switzerland, I think, when she passed away. So she became sort of, you know, one of the, yeah, lots of, um, Olivia, She didn't she live in Paris, Olivia de Havilland? She was always lived in Paris most of her life after she well, finished. I, yeah. I, I think yeah. um, sort of the... French um, Swiss area was sort of the place to be at the time. Mm. Uh, like, uh, I suppose, warmer climates and more fashionable. Yeah, uh, and I guess or... their background was European. I know Olivia and her sister were technically born in Japan, but um, they, you know, their parents were English so and had spent part of their childhoods there. So And, and, and they sort of went to Paris like before the the Paris of the age of riots and stuff mm. when it became quite different in the 60s um, and, and so forth. My um, introduction to Hepburn was actually a bit unusual because uh, my grandparents used to record so many movies off television and mm. I'd see, so I'd see a lot of them and they'd often be recorded sometimes years before I was born. Yeah. So I would be watching all these uh, not exactly legal copies of films. Yeah. And there was... There used to be this program on Australian television called Bill Collins' Golden Years of Hollywood. Yes. And I, so I actually got to see an interview he did with Audrey before doing a a, a playing of the film Charade that she made with Cary Grant several mm-hmm. years later. Yeah. So uh, it, it was peculiar for me to be seeing her. I knew she was dead, although yeah. I, I'd sort of... Uh, was too young to see the, the the to witness the media event of that time. Yeah, but uh, yep. to see her alive and I assume well at the time. Mm. Yeah, no, I definitely remember her being around when I was a kid, and she'd sort of gone off to do humanitarian work by that stage. So, but uh, yeah, a lovely chat, a beautiful woman, an icon of the cinema, and you know, to this day, I mean, what about that ad that they have on TV where they sort of digitally replicate her in the bus? Have you seen that ad? Um, I don't think I have. Yeah, I might have to forward that to you here in Australia or anywhere. I'm not sure if it's it's probably shown around the world. And I can't think of the product now, but they actually take scenes of her out of these films and they sort of put them all together like she's there in real time and it's very weird to watch but very effective. 
I I have seen the one where Fred Astaire is um, superimposed with a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's something like that. It's getting sad when we're having to digitally recreate people. Well, do you remember the one of Gene mm. Kelly where he went into breakdancing? Yeah, I, I haven't seen that. Well, we'll definitely see if we can put some of this stuff on the page so you can you can have a look at it. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, tonight we really appreciate it. it Matt's been giving um, uh, a friend of mine some photography lessons today so thanks for coming and doing this afterwards look I was grateful to have someone that listened yeah <laughs> <laughs> I had a couple of hours together chatting cameras which was fun because Matt's a brilliant photographer so Quite yeah <laughs> oh well oh, no I think your work's amazing so guys next week well well in two weeks time uh, the next episode we are doing sort of a epic now they they are religious in tone but they're just known for their epicness basically so we're going to do The Robe 1953 starring Richard Burton who we've discussed a few of his films before Gene Simmons and Victor Mature and then we're going to do the 1956 Charlton Heston and Baxter and the wonderful Yule Brynner in of course The Ten Commandments and one of my favourite people Yvonne De Carlo. We strongly recommend if you watch films in anticipation of that episode you go to the bathroom first yeah. it's a long one. <laughs> They are, but that's when these films, and there's nothing like seeing them on the big screen because it's the whole production. I, I've seen, I think I've seen Ben-Hur and a couple of others on here in Melbourne at an old theatre, and there's nothing like seeing these films on the big screen. They're meant to be seen on the big screen, but we will endeavour with what we have in our homes for this one. So thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate you joining us. And in the meantime, as always, I'm Rachel. I am Matthew. And we're watching good movies. Thank you and good night.